Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Rachel Held Evans writes about faith, doubt, and life in the Bible Belt. Today, we talk with her about politics, faith, and what her understanding of Scripture can teach us about resistance and community. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsy Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Pantsy Politics. We're so glad that you have joined us. Just a reminder that we'll be live in Gettysburg in November. We'll put a link for that event in the show notes. Get your tickets now. Come out and see us. It's been really fun to see on Twitter and Instagram when people are saying that they're going to join us there. We can't wait to meet all of you. Today, we're very excited to welcome Rachel Held Evans, who I think about half of our audience is going to be over the moon to hear from, and the other half is going to be saying, I don't know who she is, but I'm looking forward to hearing from her, I hope. <laughs> Um, But Rachel has written a beautiful book called Inspired. I've just finished. Speaking of Instagram, we'll be giving away my copy. I'll show you the pictures of my notes compared to Sarah's. They totally reflect our various personalities. 
I have lots of exclamation points. You don't have lots of exclamation points. <laughs> I have these little hearts here and there where I really <laughs> like something. So we'll be giving away a copy of Inspired on Instagram, but it is a beautiful book and I think very politically relevant whether you are a person of faith or not. And so I'm excited to talk with Rachel. But first, we're going to briefly acknowledge the shooting that took place in Jacksonville this weekend. A gamer participating in a Madden video game tournament opened fire at the Jacksonville Landing Complex, which is an open-air shopping center. The shooter killed two people, injured nine others, and then killed himself. It's really soon, so we don't have a lot of facts. I do believe he was in, he was playing, though, right? Yeah, he was a participant in the tournament. So, I mean, I guess that doesn't preclude a premeditated event, but it's just heartbreaking that two people lost their lives and that we're sitting here again wondering about the state of gun laws and gun violence in this country, particularly political, I think, in Florida because their primary is today and the shooting took place over the weekend. So it's it's interesting to see how all the candidates are reacting. Um, we're just doing our best here, as always, to wait until we have more information. I feel like Florida has endured some just Unbelievable mm-hmm. tragedies in different locations. It has to feel like what spaces are sacred and safe in Florida when you had a nightclub and a school and now a shopping mall fall victim to this sort of thing. So we're sending lots of love to everyone there. And we are going to go ahead and skip straight to our gratitude moment. It's how we've chosen to speak and commemorate the life of John McCain, who died at the age of 81 over the weekend. And Beth, you wanted to to speak first about your gratitude for Senator McCain and his life. I had to write my comments down, and I still might not get through them very successfully. If you listen to Pantsuit Politics regularly, you know that I don't have many political heroes. The very word hero frightens me because it is eventually and always accompanied by certain disappointment, and a disappointment that wounds deeply. I'm sometimes envious listening to you, Sarah, talk about Hillary Clinton. I wish I had that level of affection for any political figure. I've realized in the past few days that I'm closer to that affection than I recognized when it comes to John McCain. The word hero is tossed around casually about Senator McCain, and understandably so. His time as a prisoner of war, his decision to endure torture rather than be released ahead of his fellow captives, the physical prices he paid for his service— He served with remarkable courage and sacrifice. But I view him as a hero less because of his bravery in battle and more because of his independent thought. I believe it takes more courage to challenge your friends than to criticize your enemies, and John McCain did this over and over again. As the world became increasingly partisan, Senator McCain remained committed to speaking his mind within the Republican Party. It can be difficult to deviate from our party lines, even from the comfort of our couches and smartphones. John McCain did it on the floor of the United States Senate, in front of cameras, and while looking directly into the eyes of his colleagues. This is real courage. I've never appreciated those who mocked the Maverick label, and I feel real disdain for those who cheapened it through their conduct. Senator McCain did not spend his time endlessly railing about the left. Instead, he looked into his own party's eyes to say we can and must do better. We need more Mavericks who follow that example. Even as I felt disappointed in some of his decisions and comments during the 2008 election, and even as I felt Barack Obama's call to change history, I voted enthusiastically and proudly for Senator McCain. Even as I disagreed with his aggressive foreign policy, I believed in him and his intentions. When I heard him tell a supporter that Barack Obama was a good man with whom he disagreed, I knew that belief was well-placed. 
I long for another election between two fundamentally decent people who share a vision for a free and just America and differ in their visions of how to achieve that. I did not agree all the time with Senator McCain, and in a way, that seems appropriate and important. He stood for bringing our own intellect to policy, for earnestly considering what is right and wrong, for putting our minds and bodies to the test when justice requires it. I am grateful for Senator McCain's life and service, including all the messiness of campaigns, the quiet strength so evident when he could not raise his arms, but found other ways to speak emphatically, the wry remarks to reporters, and memorable calls to love and serve America. When all is said and done, John McCain is a hero of mine, not because he is infallible, but because he did his best. And when he didn't do his best, he said so and made amends. I wish for more heroes who are beautifully human, who are willing to be wounded, and who fear moral bankruptcy more than death. Godspeed, Senator McCain. You left me and many better than you found us. Next up, we're sharing our conversation with Rachel Held Evans. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsu for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college, y'all. He's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters, 
Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. so much for joining us. Can you tell our listeners about this beautiful book inspired that you've written and what inspired you to write it? Oh, thanks. Well, thanks for having me. Like I've said in the past, I am a fan of this podcast. It, I feel like it taps into my better self, which is important these days. So thanks for having me. It's a real honor to be here. Um, yeah. So I wrote inspired because I wanted to write about the Bible. I've been, I grew up uh, in a conservative evangelical environment and grew up loving the Bible, memorizing large portions of it before I was 11. Uh, I was the president of the Bible club in high school. So, you know, I was the cool kid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like the, the, the person who could win all of the sword drills and uh, which is where you, it's like a competition where you see who can find the Bible verse the fastest in your Bible. So yeah, I was I was steeped in uh, scripture from an early age. And then as a young adult, as so many people experience, I just started to question whether the Bible actually had anything relevant <laughs> to say to my life. And if it, it became more of a um, stumbling block, really, uh, in my faith experience, I just was having a lot of doubts about my faith to begin with. And then it felt like when I opened the Bible, I would just have even more <laughs> Uh, questions because, you know, the Bible was written in a patriarchal culture and there's assumptions about, um, you know, the nature of the universe and uh, men and women and slavery and and that are all there. And it just seemed like there's these violent stories about the conquests of, of indigenous people. And I just, I wasn't sure if there was anything in the Bible that I could cling to, uh, for hope. Um, especially in this particular, at this cultural moment. So um, it was a few years of just really digging and, and, and learning to read the Bible differently and learning to approach it differently uh, that led me to writing uh, this book, Inspired. Um, and a big turning point for me was just encountering Jewish interpretations of Scripture mm. and uh, the just the Jewish posture ter- towards reading the Bible is very different than Christians tend to approach it. And that's because uh, Jews sort of see the Bible to see Scripture, see their sacred texts as an invitation into conversation. Uh, as they see it as a conversation starter. Sometimes Christians tend to look to the Bible to be a conversation ender. You know, like mm. the Bible said it, I believe it, that settles it. Uh, and so uh, just encountering Midrash and rabbinic tradition, uh, just Jewish ways of engaging scripture really helps me see that um, that bringing my doubts and my questions to the Bible is okay. Like you, I'm meant to do that. Um, and that that's kind of part of what makes um, engaging the Bible so important and so interesting is that we all come to it with different assumptions and um engaging it with other people and um, with the perspectives of other people around us can make us um, 
and I'm going to see it in some really exciting and interesting new ways. So I also spent a lot of time reading uh, womanist interpretations of scripture, uh, and womanists are scholars, uh, black women uh, who approach the Bible from the perspective of um you know, African-American experiences. And so their interpretations of like the story of Hagar from the, uh, from Genesis, you know, Hagar was an Egyptian and a slave and who was forced into surrogacy by Abraham and Sarah. And so black women have found resonance with the story of Hagar in a way that I never thought about before. Uh, and then of course, just reading the prophets and revelation and all of um, so many different Parts of the Bible from the perspective of um, liberation theology kind of showed me how to think about the Bible at this cultural and political moment in the U.S. and um, how though just the wealth of um, inspiration and direction that we have in the Bible about how to resist faithfully and how to resist corrupt governments and corrupt people and leaders uh, with faithfulness and creativity and even humor. Uh, like mm. the story of Esther is a kind of a comical, um, satirical, kind of a dark common comedy, Tarantino style <laughs> with violence and everything uh, that, that looks at the question of like, how can we respond to um, powerful, egotistical, patriarchal, misogynistic racist men uh in in a way that is uh wise and that's funny and um that's faithful and courageous so yeah that's a kind of a brain dump there but yeah there were a lot of reasons why this seemed like the right book to work on at the time um and then you know since then it seemed even more relevant and i'm glad it seems to be resonating with people but it just yeah kind of tells the story of my own experience with scripture and then brings in the stories and experiences of other people and other scholars uh, to hopefully help people see that they can read the Bible with their mind and their heart intact. You don't have to check your brain at the door when you open the Bible. You don't have to check your doubts or your skepticism or your imagination or your creativity at the door that the Bible invites us to bring all of those things with us in our reading of it. I identify so much with your faith journey and the, in the, that you describe in many of your books, you know, I, I read the whole Bible in high school and I'd sort of just relegated it to my secret weapon at trivia contest because it's a super helpful thing to know in trivia contests, <laughs> the books of the Bible and the stories of the Bible. But I just, I think as my faith grew and I realized I had all these amazing people say, Hey, you don't have to think about church in the way that you were brought up. You don't have to think about faith in the way that you were brought up. That is not the only approach this book was so revelatory for me because you were saying, hey, this is there is not one way to read or think about the Bible. And I thought what was so brilliant in particular is your sort of um, exploration of stories and their relationship to truth. And I think for so long, the only approach I was given to the Bible is these stories are truth. These stories are true. That's it. That's the end of the story. As opposed to what I feel like you're talking about in in this book, which is stories don't have to be true to illuminate truth. And I feel like that is so relevant, not just in how we read the Bible, but in this particular political environment when we are having such difficult conversations about Mm. stories and why they're important and why they're powerful. Mm. and also the importance of truth. Can you just speak to that? 
Yeah, yeah, it's a great, and it, a lot of it depends on, you know, what do you mean by true? Mm-hmm. Uh, because some people will say, well, if you don't interpret Genesis 1 and 2 as a scientific historical text about the origin of the universe and of mankind, well, then you must not believe it's true, which I think is actually kind of unfair to the people who first received these stories, uh, for whom these stories were important and crucial to their sense of national identity. And, and these were people who lived in an ancient Near Eastern culture and so had ancient Near Eastern uh, assumptions about cosmology. So when mm-hmm. we come along right now, you know, in our pr- very particular cultural, scientific, historical moment and say, well, they have to, this has to mean what we understand science and history in order to be true, we're actually centering ourselves and our own cultural moment when that's really not the point of these texts. Um, I mean, I believe the point many biblical scholars would say the point of these stories has a lot more to do with the story of Israel uh, and where they were uh, at that historical moment uh, than it has to say about, you know, how we're going to teach science in public schools. You know, these are not yeah, it, something doesn't have to be a science text or a history text in order to be true and to point us towards truth. So I think the, one of the biggest mistakes we make when we're reading the Bible is we misidentify the genre of a given mm-hmm. text. And so that's why the whole book, uh, Inspired, is all centered around different genres. Because I feel like when we understand what the genre of a story is, we're less likely to make that mistake. So mm-hmm. Genesis 1 is not science that isn't the incorrect genre to that's my favorite that's that one of my favorite parts of the book that i text all the time where you're like y'all there's a talking snake okay like this is not a science textbook there's a talking snake so we all know what a talking snake means it's a fairy tale <laughs> right well and that's the thing it's like we have these these instincts about it that we're taught to deny because it's mm-hmm. in the bible you know so it's like we have a real instinctive reaction to we understand the difference between saying once upon a time and the AP is reporting. We understand immediately (laughs) that these are two different genre classifications. Like we're working with two different kinds of stories, right? Um, But when it comes to the Bible, we have all these signals that are like, this is clearly not meant to be science or history. And yet we have been told that, well, then because this is a sacred book, it has to be, Uh, which is so ironic because it's just, it's elevating it's really more enlightenment Western values over anything else. And, you know, that's, again, we're centering ourselves in our own um, cultural moment when we, when we need to be careful about that. So, yeah, so the, the genre of Genesis 1 is not science, it's not history. It's, uh, it's an origin story. And origin stories are important because they help us understand who we are. And we have a lot, we bring a lot of assumptions about our world and ourselves uh, into play based on what we believe to be our, our stories of origin. And so in the book, I write about how we can still embrace the stories of Genesis 1, um, stories of the Bible, as significant and important origin stories for our faith and for um, our experiences without uh, you know forcing those into categories where they don't um, belong. But yeah, there's a great quote from Neil Gaiman. He says, uh, fairy tales are more than true, uh, not because they tell us dragons are real, but because they tell us dragons can be defeated. And so sometimes you have to look at what is the, what is the, the message of this story that's um, applicable and uh, perhaps even universal? Uh, and are we paying attention to that truth or are we getting distracted by um, fighting over 
you know, a literalist interpretation of this particular text. And yeah, I try to write too a lot about how just the stories we tell ourselves are so important. The stories we tell as a culture are so important. The stories we tell about uh, migrant children are important. The stories we tell about power, the stories we tell about uh, ourselves, the stories we tell about American history. Uh, those There can be strange mixes of truth and fiction in those stories. And so it's really important that we uh, analyze them and think critically about them. And the same is true for the Bible. Um, we make a lot of assumptions about what these stories say and what they mean. And so investigating those with integrity is, is uh, difficult, but it's really important. I think that's what's so important, as you say. It's not that stories aren't essential. It's that we have to treat them as stories. And that includes when they're coming out of our politicians' mouths. You know, like, it's not like we're saying there's no room for emotion or storytelling in politics or in, even in government. But it's like we have to recognize what's going on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we have to pick apart, like, what what of this is true and what of, like, think about, like, the story of the first Thanksgiving and how that has, like, so seeped into our consciousness. And yet uh, it's this weird mix of truth and fiction and propaganda and, you know, how we tell that story uh, uh, as, you know, maybe white women will be really different than how an indigenous person receives that story and understands that story and wrestles with that story. So it's just important that we are clear-eyed and um, thoughtful mm-hmm. about the stories that that guide us and shape how we see reality, because usually those stories have a little bit of truth and a little bit of fiction, a lot of projection, <laughs> a lot of assumptions. Um, and so it's, it's not so much that you take it or leave it. It's just we have to be really thoughtful about how we um, talk about and think about and uh, embrace the stories around us. So as you have this wonderfully curious, introspective, sophisticated view of the Bible as an invitation instead of a prescription and as a collection of artifacts in some ways that still contains magic, how do you make sense of the world that we're living in today where one very prominent story among people of of the faith that the three of us share is that our current president is an imperfect messenger but but one who has been anointed to serve this country i'm i wrestle with that every time i see um, a reference to that or hear that discussion. And a listener just sent us a, a Facebook post that her father had shared with her that that really articulated, this is my story about this president and God, and and I don't know what to do with that. It's awful. It's called the Salty Sailor. Have you seen it, Rachel? No. Oh, it's basically like sometimes Jesusness needs a salty sailor. Who cares if he cusses or is does bad things in his personal life? Because Jesus just needs a salty oh, sailor sometimes. I can't even. I can't even help us, Rachel. Help us. I can't. <laughs> we need help with it because that's that's not one person's view, right? Oh, and, mm-hmm. and I think it's really important to understand this is the story that's being told among a large number of people of faith right now. Oh my gosh! And I'm like, this is the thing. I used, I feel like this is what has changed in the last three years is I used to be able to understand other people's perspective. Like I didn't always agree, but I could kind of empathize and see both sides. And this is like what y'all's podcast is about. And I feel like that is getting harder and harder and harder for me with every passing day. I just, that's what's different 
is I don't, I genuinely don't get it. Like I have so much trouble understanding that perspective. Mm -hmm. I just don't understand it from a, I mean, if we were going to, to, to bring, you know, scripture into the, into this, and there are a lot of little stories in the Bible. And then there are some like bigger stories that cross over from book to book, era to era, genre to genre. And one of those bigger overarching stories is a story of justice in particular care for orphans, widows, for immigrants, for refugees. This is a theme. It's, it's, this is not a verse that you can pick out, uh, you know, to, for proof texting the people. This is a theme throughout scripture from the moment um, God looked at the, the Hebrew slaves and their oppression under Pharaoh in Egypt and saw them in their suffering and then brought them out of slavery. And then when God was giving um them their commandments and and setting up a covenant with these people continually said uh remember that i am the god who brought you out of egypt who liberated you and so this theme of god as liberator god of um whose interest aligns with the oppressed is is very common and so it's really difficult to see how folks can um align themselves with oppressors and with oppressive policies when that's so contrary to the thrust towards justice that we see in scripture. I mean, frankly, you know, Trump looks a lot more like the uh, misogynistic and oppressive Xerxes from the story of Esther than he does, you know, anybody else. He certainly doesn't look like Christ. Um, looks a lot more like Caesar than yeah. Christ. Uh, and so, yeah, it's really, it's really difficult for me to understand that perspective, except that I, I know that power is, um, is seductive and, uh, we're all, we're all prone to kind of justifying the decisions we make when we feel like those decisions keep our interests in power. And I think that that's, I mean, if I were to, my analysis of the situation, having grown up in evangelical Christian subculture and, and knowing that pretty well, is that that whole culture has been very primed to see itself as being oppressed and itself mm. as being the minority and itself as being persecuted uh, because of this whole, I call it the industrial persecution complex. It's like Love movies it. and books all about how Christians are being oppressed in this country and silenced and censored, you know, all the God's Not Dead movies, like that there's this whole industry, the war on Christmas, fueled by Fox News, and um, that, that, that con- has convinced a lot of white evangelical Christians that they ha- are in the fight for their life. Uh, and there's even polling that shows that white evangelical Christians believe that most white evangelical Christians believe that they face more discrimination than Muslims in America, than LGBT people in America, even than African-Americans, uh, which is mind-blowing. Mind yeah. So we're back to, we're back to stories. There's just this story that has been so internalized that Christians are um, oppressed minorities that I can, that's the only way I can kind of sort of see where out of desperation, um, folks will vote for and support a man who says, I mean, I remember him very clearly saying, I will make Christianity 
big again. I will make it safe. Uh, I will protect you. Uh, I think that that resonated. And because the story uh, is so powerful, it's just a lot of folks are just not seeing that their protection is coming at the expense of a lot of other people who are already uh, the real uh, minorities in this country. That's the only thing I, that's the only way I can make heads or tails of it is that when you're desperate, when you feel like you've been backed into a corner, you'll align yourself with whoever you think will pull you out. And so there's, it's the, this, this false narrative of being backed into a corner has made folks kind of desperate to grab at whoever is promising to help them. Well, I feel like I just finished your book after, um, right around the time that Washington Post piece came out about the church in Alabama. Do you know which piece I'm talking about? Oh yeah, I remember that one. Oh Lord. Um, and the, (laughs) and I realized like when I just finished your book and I love the part where you talk about that, it, that the gospel is not the gospel of sin management, that it's not just about managing sins and, and doing the math so you can get to heaven. But I think for those people, that's the story. The story is not just that we're oppressed here on earth, but that there's this cosmic battle and that if you're left on earth, as a Christian, you're the oppressed. And this, the, the, what the battle that really matters is the one taking place in heaven or hell or whatever sphere, the second, you know, like that, that sort of the bit. And you hear that so much, especially if you look back on the like memes from the 2016 election, that this is a cosmic battle. This is a, it's not just that we're the oppressed minority, but the story is like, this is bigger than all of us. This is about the kingdom of heaven. And this is about, and you can hear that narrative. It's like, it removes all agency for what's going on in your life on earth right now. And it's all about, well, the stakes are so high because it's a cosmic battle and our country is in the the throes of this battle between the devil and Jesus and, you know, all that, that that it raises the stakes so that you can justify anything because that's the, the story is so big. Right. And it puts so much of it, though, it it also makes it safer because it's kind of like Mm -hmm. it's this cosmic battle that's going on in these realms that we can't see or taste or touch now because the kingdom of God is like this far off place we float Mm -hmm. to when we die, uh, as opposed to like that is completely contrary to how Jesus spoke about Mm -hmm. the kingdom, which is that it's here among us. And the crazy thing is Jesus did not say, blessed are the powerful, blessed are the people who win all the time. It's blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are, you know, and Jesus also, Jesus modeled for us, you know, humility, even to the mm-hmm. point of death. So this Jesus's life was not about grasping at power, uh, no matter the cost. It's crazy. It's, it's laughable, but it's also so depressing. It is um, depressing. It's so completely contrary to the teachings of Jesus to center power as, as our ultimate goal. I mean, uh, the apostle Paul wrote in the book of Philippians, you know, have this attitude in you, which was also in Jesus Christ, who did not consider uh, equality with God, ultimate power, a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. Um, you know, this, this, this notion that, you know, the Christians were enemies of the state. They were not, um, propped up by or supported by the state. Now, Jesus was crucified on a Roman cross and the apostle Paul, who Jeff Sessions and Sarah Sanders quoted in support of their uh, abusive migrant policies, the apostle Paul, by saying that like, oh, well, he advocated for obeying the law. He was executed by the state too. Like, they, <laughs> you know, it's just this. So again, it's taking verses out of their context, out of their narrative and their story and um, 
just kind of throwing them on the American people. But yeah, it's, it's, it's frustrating. It's frustrating because I'm still somebody who really loves Jesus. <laughs> I'm, I'm a fan. Uh, <laughs> and I'd like to think I'm a disciple uh, and who really loves the Bible uh, to see it twisted and abused to support policies that hurt people, that hurt the very people that so often the writers of scripture were advocating for. Um, it's frustrating. It's, it's frustrating to watch it happen. Um, it's frustrating to feel kind of powerless to, to stop it. So all I knew to do was write a book. So, <laughs> that's what I do. We writers, we, 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 we write. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's been, it's been frustrating to, to, to see scripture twisted like that. And, but at the same time, um, I wrote a chapter about this in the book about the people who are, you know, in the tradition of the prophets resisting and who are, you know, I think about people like Bree Newsom, who scaled the flagpole in South Carolina to remove the Confederate flag. She did that reciting scripture all the way up and all the way down. She did that as an act of faith. You know, I think about Reverend Barber and the Poor People's Campaign um, and, you know, particularly people in the African-American community who have been uh, appealing to and living the, the prophetic words of scripture for so long uh, and have done that um, for many decades. So there, there, we see people distorting scripture and using it to uh, justify oppressive ideas and policies. But we also see people appealing to scripture to um, do the right thing and to lead and call people to justice. So um, I like to say, like, if you're, if you're, if you're looking for a weapon, you can find them in the Bible. <laughs> it was written in a very different culture and time than ours. So if you're looking for verses to throw at people to hurt them, like you'll find them there. You can do that. But if you're looking for uh, to heal, you can always find the bomb. So a lot of what we're, um, a lot of how we engage scripture is what we're going looking for. Uh, you know, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be open to you. So much has to do with how we're coming to scripture to begin with. And if we're going looking for ammunition, you know, you'll find it. But if you're going looking for um, words of hope and liberation and healing, uh, you'll find those words there too. How do you interact with scripture in these frustrating times? Do you journal? Because I feel like the ways that in which I was taught to interact with scripture are based on the old way to read scripture. I'm just curious about like sort of what your practice is like. Oh yeah. Oh, my practice when I get to it. Um, we have <laughs> people often ask me like, tell me about your, your process of reading the Bible. And it's like, well, most of the time I'm reading it cause I need to write about it <laughs> like, <laughs> to have a job that forces me to be spiritual. Um, but, oh, uh, but really one thing I've been doing a lot lately is spending time in the Psalms and not the nice ones. <laughs> cause mm. there's some kind of angry Psalms out there that are like, Oh Lord, Please take down the wicked and make them pay for all that they have done. Make them like slugs on the ground, you know, littered with salt. I mean, it's like really dramatic. I'm feeling that one. I'm really feeling that one. I have been praying the angry Psalms, the cursing Psalms. Um, (laughs) And I mean, on the one hand, that feels a little, that feels a little, I don't know, maybe negative. But on the other hand, it's kind of cool that God left that in there, you know, because I those angry psalms is sort of like God making space um, for um, for anger and for um, frustration with 
power and frustration with abuses of power, frustration with the world and all the evil that we see in it and and all the evil we see in ourselves, all the the, the, the ugliness that we see out there, but also in our own lives. There's there's beautiful, angry, perfect words for that um, scattered throughout scripture. And I found myself kind of retreating to a lot of those these days. Um so Psalm, the, you know, just if when in doubt, you can go to the Psalms and, and kind of find, uh, you know, find something there. Um, and then I spend a lot of time in the company of the words of Jesus, just because I've, you know, just as, as kind of a reminder of, you know, this is, we sometimes forget that Christians believe that Jesus is what God is like, um, that Jesus is, you know, it, we wonder often, what is God like? And if God were with us, what would God do? Well, Jesus shows us that. And Jesus spent time in the company of, um, you know, the people who were uh, outcasts and the people who were downtrodden, the people who were sick, the people on the margins of society. Um, that's who Jesus hung out with. And so returning to that is, is both encouraging and challenging for me because it reminds me that I can't just retreat to words and to writing that I'm also called to uh, spend time in the company of the people that Jesus spent time with. And so, yeah, that, that, that helps too. But I think, I think I also try to be aware of the fact that some people have been so hurt by scripture. I think particularly about my LGBT um, siblings um, and friends. Um, I think about, you know, people who, um, you know, have had doubts about their faith and have only had scripture thrown at them as a weapon in response. So a lot of people need time to come back to the Bible. And I want to always make space for that and uh, respect that, um, that not everybody's ready to come back to the Bible if it's been used and abused against them. And they may never be ready for that. But for people who are, who, who do want to try and reclaim and redeem uh, the, the Bible as part of their faith practice. I do think there's good reason to do that. And I hope that I encourage that. Thank you so much. That was beautiful. We really appreciate it. Well, I'm cheering you all on and I'm so grateful for what you do because it's it helps helps me process a, a lot. And so, yeah, it's an honor to, to be a part of the conversation today. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. 
Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. What's on your mind outside of politics, Sarah? Well, if I'm being honest, it's like all food and stomach stuff all the time because I'm still having sort of stomach problems. They're not quite sure what's causing it yet. So I've I've gone to a hardcore paleo diet that I posted about on Instagram live because at first I was like, oh, you know, the first day you like do that kind of hardcore diet change, your body is like, what is happening? <laughs> Where did the cookies go? Hell, it definitely has made it better. And I've had like sort of a market improvement in some of my symptoms, but it's not keeping me up at night, but I'm still sort of having stomach aches and pains. It's just, just a, such a downer. I'm a bad patient. My husband was like, you have been a nightmare to be around because <laughs> I'm cranky and I just, I'm upset. And I, I've said this before, like I'm not a good sort of chronically ill person. Like it just affects everything. I can't see my way out of it. And I'm just, I'm struggling right now, everybody. Everybody feel sorry for me. It'll make me feel better. Well, the Instagram crowd came came to they you did. with suggestions did. on things you can eat. So that was nice. And I have. I've been taking some of those suggestions for sure. I will say, though, we did go this weekend and that helped to kind of get a, get out of town and kind of get your mind out of the mental space. We took the boys to um, the zoo in St. Louis and saw all kinds of full, cool animals because Felix had never been to the zoo and I was feeling a little derelict in my parenting duties. And then we took our kids to the city museum in St. Louis, which is amazing. Have you ever taken your kids there? Not to St. Louis. Mm-mm. Oh, the city museum's amazing. It's this like, I don't even know how to explain it. It's like a giant playground. It's like this huge, like 60,000 square foot factory building that they turned into a playground. So, and it's all recycled materials from within the St. Louis city ground. So there's like all these wire cages and ball pits and concrete caves. And you can go down this 10 story slide and 
there's a circus inside where you can watch people be trained for the circus. And I mean, like, if your brain can dream it, is in a city museum. It was Amos Heaven, my middle son, who's like just a climber and a explorer by nature. It was such a cool experience. Highly, highly, highly recommend it. That is awesome. Well, I guess I, not to make this malady section, but I've been having a really difficult physical time lately as well. And so I've been kind of just taking comfort in small pleasures. Mm. Whenever I don't feel good physically, brushing my hair feels amazing. So I've been Mm. flat ironing my hair so that I can brush it because it's like one thing that feels really great for me. My yoga practice has been a huge source of comfort for me lately. And then also I have been singing more because of my church, which is just a thing that used to be an enormous part of my life and hasn't been at all really since I left home. Well, since we left college, you know, I was in the choir in college, but since college, I really haven't done any singing and I've been doing more and it just feels really good to sing again. I'm not at the level of ability that I used to be, but it just, it's nice. You know, it calls to something deeper within you, I think, when you're actively engaged in music. So all of that has been good for me. I found music to be such a stress reliever. And I have to really be careful because if I, you know, I'll just default to listening to podcasts all the time. And sometimes I just need a break. Sometimes I just need to listen to music and relax, you know? Yeah. And I think just making music even takes you to a different place because I do listen to a lot of music, but to be involved, especially with people who are super talented, like my friend Brandon is just an unbelievable pianist, has this incredible voice. Like I I told him this weekend, like I can sing, but you can make music. And Mm. to be with people like that, it's just really good for me. So I'm um, grateful that that has been a part of my days lately. So On our other podcast, The Nuanced Life, we always end every episode with sort of a little piece of inspiration to leave you going over the next few days. And this piece shared by one of our listeners, Jessica, was so beautiful. We really wanted to share it on both shows. Jessica shared from the Common Prayer, a liturgy for ordinary radicals, which is a name that I love, this piece of wisdom. Peacemaking doesn't mean passivity. It is the act of interrupting injustice without mirroring injustice, the act of disarming evil without destroying the evildoer, the act of finding a third way that is neither fight nor flight, but the careful, arduous pursuit of reconciliation and justice. It is about a revolution of love that is big enough to set both the oppressed and the oppressors free. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Pantsuit Politics. Until next week, keep it nuanced, y'all. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Dylan Garvin. Elise Knapp is our production assistant. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers, Tracy Putoff, George Niedermeyer, James Randall, Cherry Haas, Nicholas Holland, and Chad Silvers. To support Pantsuit Politics and receive lots of bonus features, visit patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics. You can connect with us on our website, www.pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. Sign up for our weekly emails and follow us on Instagram.